0: Welcome to the podcast of the preaching ministry of LifePoint Church, led by Pastor Lane Harrison. We pray this ministry is a blessing for your life. For more information about LifePoint, please visit lifepointozark.com. For more information and resources from Pastor Lane, please visit mlaneharrison.com. Well, as we look to launch this prayer campaign called To Pray, I want to talk to you this morning about prayer. I want to talk to you about effective prayer. And I want us to go to a verse of scripture that is what I would call a power punch of promise in the Lord's prayer. As we ask the Lord to teach us to pray and we learn and desire. James chapter 5 verse 16. James has just gone through a series of teaching on how it is that we pray a prayer of faith in specific regards to applying it in our life. And at the second part of verse 16, he says this. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. We want to ask the Lord to bless the reading, the hearing, the understanding, and the obeying of his word today. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Actually, the way I learned this verse growing up and first memorized it was from the New King James version that said, "The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous person availeth much." Very poetic, and that's what resonates in my mind when I think about James 5:16. And I'm hoping this verse begins to resonate with you in your heart. As well, You see, what James is doing is he's teaching about what it looks like to pray from faith. What, what our faith sounds like when it takes words and is offered to the Lord. And the last sentence is a power punch of a promise about effective Prayer. I want to look briefly at the five words in this sentence. Now, for those of you who think I am math illiterate or just a little struggle with the counting, I do, but I'm not talking about the words of the English language here. I'm talking about the five Greek words that form this sentence in the original language. I'm not going to bother pronouncing those words to you because A, you don't know Greek and you wouldn't know if I got it right or wrong, or B, you would know Greek and you'd have to come up and correct me afterwards. Either way, we'll be okay if we don't try to pronounce those words, right? But I want to share them with you because I think they're that potent. And then I want to talk about how is it we pray effective prayers based on the promise that James provides for us. The first two words, and, and the Greek language as well, you need to know in Greek grammar, like they get the words all out of order according to our understanding, Right? So they don't go in the order that we place them in, in the original language. But the first two words are this, great and power. Great and power. Great just simply means what we would think it means, an extent or degree of that which is offered or referenced. And power just simply means the ability or competency to meet the need or the task that has been identified. So when the sentence begins, great, power James immediately begins to tell us this that the first two words teach us that prayer's power is always greater than the request that gets made Let that sink in with you for a moment Now I know I'm warring this morning against our own insufficiency and feelings of inadequacy in prayer And so I'm fully aware of that. But I want you to understand the way that James begins the promise is to tell us that the potency of our prayers is always greater than the size of our request. It's not because of us. So stay with me. But that's how he begins. Kind of blows you against the wall to start with, doesn't it? And then he says prayer. What is prayer here? Understand that this word prayer is not just a generic or nebulous word for prayer. Rather, it's an earnest or an urgent request to God. This is the word in the Greek language that is sometimes translated supplication. It is a very specific kind of prayer that James is referencing here. Supplication is the kind of prayer that Jesus teaches us in the second phrase of the Lord's Prayer. So he begins the Lord's Prayer with our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And then he says what? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a supplication prayer. It is a specific kind of prayer for a specific purpose. You see, supplication is missional praying for every situation and for all prayers. You are praying that the mission of God would be fully accomplished by the power of God in this world as it is perfectly already with God in heaven. And so we have great power prayers. That are bringing sufficient power down to accomplish God's will. That's what he has said. The fourth word is a word that means righteous person. Righteous Person. You see, James is not espousing, as he is often accused of doing, a self-based or a morality-centered righteousness. That is not what James is teaching here. James is so radically practical that sometimes people go, he's legalistic, stay away from him. But what James is doing is he's faithfully applying where rubber meets the road kind of thing. You know, the reality of life takes root. And that's what he's teaching us here. What he is saying to us is he's teaching us how it is we apply the righteousness of Christ that's put on us in salvation into the everyday walking of our life. Our prayers, friends flow out of a relationship that we have with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son by the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. You see, prayers from a righteous person engage the whole being of our triune God by the gospel. I want you to, I want you to catch this because I'm going to unpack it more in a few moments. But there are none that are righteous, not even one. That's what Romans clearly tells us. None that seek God, none that know God. And so when James says the prayers of a righteous person, he's not talking about the cream of the crop among all humanity. He's talking about people who've had something done to them that they could not do for themselves. That's the very essence of Christianity. And so he says this. That our prayers of a righteous person are engaging the wholeness of our triune God, our one God in three persons, and the full work that he has done, not only to save us, but to bring salvation about upon the earth. And that, friends, is the gospel that the Father so loved us that he sent his Son and he offered up Jesus Christ upon the cross as a propitiation for our sins to both satisfy his righteous demand and atone for our sins and also apply them to us to bring forgiveness and cleansing from those sins that we might come in to a relationship with him. Paul says that we might be reconciled to God. And in Christ Jesus, we've been reconciled. And then when Jesus began to ascend back into heaven after his resurrection. He said that he would send the Holy Spirit who would inhabit us, who would fill us and would bring to us all of Godness within us. That's the gospel, friends. The gospel should fill us to every extent and pervade every aspect of our lives. Our prayers as Christians should be gospel-fueled, in other words, motivated by the love of God. Our prayers as Christians should be gospel-formed, filled with God's truth and shaped as he is revealed to us in the Bible. And our prayers as Christians should be gospel-funneled. The means through which they are moving not only to God, but to the world. And what I mean by that is they should be aligned with God's redemptive work through each person of the triune Godhead. Now, I'm going to explain that more in a moment, but I don't want to take time to do that right now. That's what he's talking about when he says a righteous person, because our righteousness is not of ourself in any way, shape, form, manner, or degree. It is only because of Jesus Christ and his finished work upon the cross. It is only because we've confessed our sins, repented of them, and put our trust in him, and received from him what is his and his alone righteousness. Word number five. I believe word number five here, as it is interpreted, as it is working, it says, is the most interesting and definitive word of the whole sentence and of the whole promise. And let me tell you why. Because this word tells us that prayer is not a simple statement, prayer is a whole process. It is a whole process. And it is to that process. I am attaining to explain and bring you into today to understand why it is that God even wants you to pray, let alone how to pray. But so that when you do pray, you can know the confidence of Christ in your prayers by the work of God in the whole process of prayer. Is prayer as an act As powerful as James makes it here, or is he blowing smoke? I think you already know where I'm gonna lean on this one, right? Is prayer, as James is promising us here, as powerful an act? Can it take on the personification to work in this way? Because when he says, as it is working, what is he talking about there? He's talking about the prayer. He's not talking about the righteous person working. He's talking about the prayer itself working. That's what makes it the process. And if, in fact, the prayer itself is this powerful, to take on this kind of personification, to take on this kind of work, How is it? Well, here's what I'll say to you. Yes, in a way, prayer as an act in and of itself is actually this powerful. Why do I say that? Well, prayer is communion. Prayer is an activity of building communion with the one to whom you pray through communication. Okay? And the power of any prayer is only determined but is always determined by the one with whom you commune in that prayer. I want you to follow with me here because I'm going to make a contrast. When you pray, you are intentionally communicating to build intimacy with the one to whom you are praying. The first thing it tells us is you better know who you're praying to, right? Because the intimacy is being built whether you know it or not. But let me warn you, if you pray to a dead God, if you pray to a false idol, if your prayers are motivated out of false hopes and false ideologies that are not rooted in the truth of Christ, is prayer still working I argue today it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Let me tell you why. Because when that prayer offered to that dead God or that false idol is given, you are building intimacy. With that dead God or that false idol. You are being deceived by the false ideologies and the lies that that dead idol has fueled in you. You are building up a hope that is false. It's on faltering grounds and it's based on promises that cannot and will not ever come true. That prayer is building an intimacy ultimately by false hopes and promises that will internally crush you because it will place on you impossible demands that you continue to pursue but you never get any closer to. That's what false idols do to us. And it will begin to crush you as well because your expectations go up, your accomplishments go down. And farther and farther the gap comes. Finally and ultimately It will destroy you because you can never attain to what it demands of you. I say to you, yes, all prayer works, but not all prayer works the same way. Not all prayer is equal. When you commune with the triune God, there is another kind of prayer that takes place in the process to which James refers here. And it is this, friends. The triune God gives life, gives hopes that never perish, spoil, or fade. He gives hope. He gives love. He gives faith. He gives life. Why? Because he and he alone is alive. That's why. When Christians pray, who are Christians, I remind you. Christians are those who have repented of their sin, who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, who have turned from that sin to receive his righteousness and are walking in the righteousness that he has placed upon them by the power that he has put within them by his spirit. And it is through that relationship that we are communing with God to grow his righteousness in us that has been placed on us. That's who a Christian is. And so I say when Christians pray, God, the triune God, is the one who is working. And the work that is being done is the work that only he can do in those prayers. That's why we say at LifePoint, when we pray, God works. God works. And friends, that's why I tell you today, righteous prayers are the only effective prayers Righteous prayers are the only effective prayers. What I want you to understand today is that God works through effective prayer to bring about his perfect will in the prayer, through the prayer, and by the prayer. I want you to understand this today. God is bringing about his perfect will in the prayer, through the prayer, and by prayer. The prayer. Now, before I launch into this effective prayer, let me say this. Most people that I've talked to at some point, in some way, manner, or degree, struggle with feeling confident about their prayers. Maybe it's early on in your Christian faith or maybe it's a time of real struggle or burden and you just feel like your prayers are not as powerful as they ought to be or as they should be. Or when you hear a sermon on prayer, you don't feel like your prayers measure up to what got described in the sermon. And here's what I want to encourage you with today. This is good news. Your feelings about your prayer are never the true measure of your prayer. You hear me? God is the measure of our prayers. And the true effectiveness of your prayer is determined by the one to whom you commune in them, not by the polish with which you offer them. That's why the invitation to pray stands, friends. And that's why I want to encourage you this morning on how we pray effective prayers. I want to offer to you four qualities of effective prayers drawn out of this verse in James 5, four qualities that determine the effectiveness of your prayer life. And listen to me, friends, when you practice these qualities, you don't have to worry about how you feel about your prayers. You can use that as a measurement in some way to discern or evaluate yourself. But I'm telling you, you can trust because you are resting in the one who is working in the process of your praying. The first quality that I want to present to you today for effective prayer is, first of all, the person you pray to. Now, I've already referenced this a couple of times, so let me just say this. This verse in James is not about a a, a generic or Uh, reference or or nebulous words. It's not about positive thoughts that are being offered, but just kind of thrown out into the atmosphere of the environment. Rather, this is laser beam, friends. This is directed with specificity and with aim. James is teaching a prayer of faith and Jesus and his power that is working through that prayer. You see, the promise of effective prayer is directed to those who pray pray by faith to the triune God. That's where the promise originates. When Christians pray, we pray to our triune God. We pray to God the Father. We ask for His sovereign will to be done by His work and in His way. We offer praise and thanksgiving to Him, and and we give Him glory in all things. We see Jesus doing this repeatedly while He was upon the earth. And when He prayed, He prayed to the Father. And our greatest model, our greatest teacher, is to see Jesus pray to the Father. Because when He prays to the Father, He's instructing us how it is that we pray to God the Father. But listen to me, friends. Jesus is fully God. He is worthy of our praise and glory as well. He is worthy of our prayers. And so Christians pray to God, the Son. Well, the Scripture unashamedly tells us that the Father sent the Son because He loved us. And He raised Him up on the cross to die in our place, as the Bible says, as a propitiation for us. In other words, He died your death. He paid your debt of sin. And in that, the wrath of God against sin was fully satisfied and atoned. And in that, the forgiveness was applied by faith to those who believe in him and cleansing from sin was taken care of. You've been washed white as snow by the blood red of Jesus. He's worthy of your prayers And when we pray to the Son, we understand that today He has been ascended back into heaven and He sits at the right hand of the Father where He intercedes for us in an ongoing, continual manner. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's talking to the Father about you. And when we intercede, we join in the conversation of Christ with the Father. And so when we pray to God the Son, we're joining Him in His redeeming work. Praying about the judgment of sin. Praying about the love of people. Praying about the things that Jesus demonstrated and taught us when He walked upon the face of the earth. God the Son is worthy of your prayers. God the Holy Spirit is worthy of your prayers. Just before Jesus ascended back into heaven, He said, Wait in the city. Until you've been clothed with power from on high, Acts chapter 2. You know, that power from on high was the power that came down in the Holy Spirit at Pentecost in chapter 2. And that is the power that clothes every person who receives forgiveness of sin and is inhabited by the Spirit of God at salvation. And the Spirit of God that lives in you, that Jesus sent, he teaches, is here for a very specific purpose in our life. When we pray to the Holy Spirit, we're asking the Holy Spirit, even as the psalmist did, search me and try me. See if there be any way in me that is not of you. Convict me, Holy Spirit of sin, where I have walked against God's will, away from God's will, or just failed to walk in it. Convict me of righteousness and the things that you have commanded and the things that are from you, but I've just said, not right now, maybe another time, maybe another way Let's figure this out and how we can do it so it won't be so painful or so difficult. Show me a way, God, that that would be some way that I prefer rather than no, no, no. Convict me of righteousness, Holy Spirit, in the way that God has commanded me to walk, that I might trust in his power to walk through me in that. Convict me of judgment of those who willfully and wantingly walk out of God's will and away from him. That I might want you. Illumine within me the word of life. You have trouble reading your Bible? It is the work of the Holy Spirit to turn the lights on. That's what he wants to do in you, friends. He he illumines the word of God. And then in the midst of that, when we start reading the Bible, and then the Bible starts reading us, and it becomes really vaguely, uncomfortably familiar to us, that's when the Holy Spirit has not only illumined the word, but now he's counseling us in the inner recesses of our being. He's going, this is where you do not trust God. This is what you're replacing with God. This is where you're walking away from God. This is how you're failing to believe or to trust. That's the counsel of the Holy Spirit by the illumination of the Word. And that's what the Spirit does when you pray to Him. And He guides us. He empowers us to walk in the righteousness that He has illumined and counseled us in. Listen to me, friends. We pray to our triune God by praying through every person of our triune God. And you going, oh my goodness, I don't know who to pray what to now. It's okay. Don't, don't sweat it. Don't fret it. It's okay. Just begin to pray and the Spirit will lead you. The Word will guide you and the Father will welcome you. That's the way God works. Jesus teaches this in his prayers. When he speaks to the Father, he acknowledges the Father's work. He acknowledges his own work and The Gospel of John. And then he begins to tell us what the Spirit himself will do. Jesus teaches our triune praying to our triune God. When Christians pray, it is our triune God that is working, friends. At all times. In all ways. And prayer is that conversation with the triune God. You see, you know that your prayer is doing its great work. Listen to me. When it ceases to be vain words... And it becomes a conversation that builds intimacy. Conversation that builds hope in Christ. That builds your understanding of your love in Jesus Christ, but also your love for Him. You know it's an effective prayer when you're praying. And it's building intimacy with God because you're coming to understand more and more how you can trust and walk in obedience to Him. That's prayer with the triune God through the triune God. The second quality that I offer you of effective prayer today is the posture from which you pray. The posture from which you pray. This is where I go back and I appeal to the word that James used, righteous prayer. You see, posture is where the gospel must begin to fuel our prayers when we trust and rest fully in the work of Christ for us. We approach God in prayer, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done for us. Not because of anything that we can offer or accomplish for him, but because of all that he has already done for us. And when the gospel fuels our prayer, God says that we are to come confidently before him him. Not sheepishly, not timidly, but confidently before him. You see, friends, if you pray in your own strength and if you pray out of your own will, you will always lack confidence in the purpose of your prayers. I don't know if God wants to hear this or not, but right? If you pray out of your own strength and your own will, you will very quickly grow weary in the practice of your prayers. Oh my gosh, I just got to get through this, just got to be done with it and move on. When you pray out of your own strength and your own will, you will lose faith in the power of your prayers. I don't even think that this is doing any good. I don't even know why I'm doing this. You pray in your own strength and your own will, You'll begin to question God about who He is, about what He wants to do, about what He's able to do, and whether He's even listening at all. Why? Because you're not praying out of a posture of salvation, a posture of redemption, a place of righteousness. You're praying out of self. But when you pray in faith, your prayers are fueled by the gospel, burning hot. You run to the Lord courageously. Why? Because he told me to. No, I'm not worthy to be here. But he said, I'm welcome because of Jesus Christ. When you pray in faith, you make your request to him boldly because you know he cares, he hears, he sees, he knows, and he's working. I'm going to bring it to you, God, and I'm going to leave it with you. You see, when you pray fueled by the gospel, you rest in Christ because you trust God. In his work and you are watching and you were waiting for all that he's going to do for your good and for God's glory you see the Christians posture in prayer is fueled by the gospel when we approach God in prayer with the same confidence that a three-year-old would burst into the king's chambers at 3 a.m. in the morning and declare I want water and the king gets up and says, okay, son, I'll get it for you. Maybe rubbing the eyes. You see, sin and Satan want you to believe you have no access to God. But Christ obliterated the wall of separation. And he said, come in at any time. And with a smile on his face, he welcomes you. He is glad to serve you. Jesus Makes you righteous by faith so that your life can be postured before God at all time with any request. Friends, if you're going before God and you're thinking more about your successes, you're thinking more about your right thinking or I'm going to say this the right way, I'm going to use the right words. Listen, put all that away. Put all that away. Come before God because He wants you there and He's made a way for you to be there. He'll work out the wording once you get there. The third quality of effective prayers is not only the person you pray to, it's not only the posture you pray from, but it is the persistence you pray with. Luke 18 tells the parable, or records rather, a parable Jesus told of an unrighteous judge and a widow. And that judge had no idea what he was dealing with. He didn't care about that woman. The Bible says that his own words in the story were that he didn't even care about justice for that woman. All he cared about was his own comfort and convenience. And she was the massive disruption to both of those. And so he said, she's driving me nuts. I can't shut her up. What must I do to shut her up so I don't have to be driven nuts? That's the free lane translation of those verses, okay? Okay may not be word for word, but in essence, it's the same. And so he says to her, you can have whatever you want if you'll shut up and get out. And he gave her justice, what she demanded. But he didn't give her justice for justice sake. He gave it for his own sake. And then Jesus ends that parable by saying this. Do you not think that God who is just, who cares about justice, who loves justice, who pursues justice in all things, who in his very being is preeminently justice, will not give you justice in all of your requests even more quickly than the unjust judge? Now, the interesting thing about this parable is that Luke begins it this way. He says that the reason Jesus told the parable was to teach them to always pray and not lose heart. Like, that's the first sentence, Luke 18, 1. And then he tells the parable. And then Jesus ends the parable by saying this. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? You know, sometimes when we read that, we're tempted to think, well, yeah, we'll be doing this or we'll be doing that. We'll be doing that. But the last thing we'll offer there is we'll be praying. And you see what Jesus was saying was the first thing we ought to be doing is praying. That, That that is the reason he taught. That we would persist in our prayers. And Jesus teaches us that faith in him fuels persistence To him in our prayer. Why? Because he doesn't want to listen and doesn't want to hear and doesn't want to work? No, quite the opposite. Because our persistence will not come anywhere near his desire to work, but he wants to bring us a little closer to understand his nature and his character. Friends, when you know God's will, the gospel and the reality of the righteousness of Christ that is set up on you becomes a furnace in you that fuels you to persist in your prayers to see the work of God come about not only in your life but through your life and in the whole world. And a deeper faith just burns hotter in the persistence of our prayer. You don't have to wait until your life gets into crisis mode to begin to pray urgently and fervently for the things that God wants. As a matter of fact, the priority of a matter says you ought to make it urgent and you ought to make it frequent in your prayers. The value of any matter says come frequently to God with that and come urgently to God with that. Listen, friends people and the importance that God has placed upon their life and any involvement that they may have make our prayers worthy of all urgency and of frequency to see God work in their life. Persistence in prayer comes from a deepening trust in God's will and our faith in him that we would pray it through until he brings it about. Why? Because we are hungry for his will. To be done in the world as it is in heaven. We are thirsting for his will to be done in us as it is in heaven. Friends, we persist in prayer in the way we pray for our children. You know, it's interesting. I I have two children, for those of you who don't know me. And both of them are, are, well, late teens and young adulthood. So my son's in college. My daughter's finishing high school. And here's what I'm going to tell you about them. I've been praying for their spouses since the day they were born. Why? Because it's that important. And I don't pray lightly about this prayer request. And I've told my daughter, I probably won't say this in third service when she's here, but in 25 more years when she's going to be able to get married, (laughs) that's a joke. It's probably not a good joke. Definitely not one I'll tell next service, so I'd appreciate it if you wouldn't tell her that I told it in this service. <laughs> because I care about who that mate is. i pray for their character, for their development. I'm praying for their godliness, for their salvation. Why? Because it is critical to my daughter, and to my son's wife. It is urgent in me. It is frequented by me. You have a family member. You have a friend that is far from God. Do not wait till a big event or some opportune time to begin to pray urgently, frequently, and fervently for their salvation. You pray that now. It is that important. This is what it means to persist in supplication to persist in prayers, to bring God's will out of the heavens into full reality here upon the earth. Urgency and frequency should mark all of our prayers because of the gospel and according to God's word. More, more than even our prayers that are thrown up at last minute moments of crises. Or when the urgency of the demand of timeline is present. You see, the more urgency and frequency that qualifies our every prayer, the less we will find ourselves trying to just beat the buzzer with the last minute Hail Mary on our timeline. Well, we got one option left. If prayer is your last option, I guarantee you it doesn't work more than it does. Because it's like finding a needle in a haystack In a barn full of rattlesnakes with the lights off. You just it's a shot in the dark for you. And you don't feel good about it, you because you haven't done it before. I'm telling you, you don't end with prayer, you start with prayer. That's what urgency And frequency is what persistence in prayer is all about. The more urgency and frequency that that qualifies our every prayer, the less it is that we find ourselves trying to to turn the natural course of events from what has developed over time to meet our last-minute preferences. Oh, God, if you would just reverse the course of the earth on its axis for the last 24 hours so we could undo all the stupidity that just took place we would appreciate it. And yet how frequently that qualifies our prayer. Does it not? Listen, friend, persistence in prayer means you pray more frequently with greater urgency because of your relationship with God. Because of what God is doing in you. And persistence employs with intentionality, urgency, and frequency in prayer to make God's will the first priority of your life at the first. Not only at the last. The more frequently you prioritize the matter in prayer, the more you will talk to the Lord with a greater urgency about it in your prayers. And I can tell you this. That process alone will bring incredible clarity to your whole life. One of the reasons we're cloudy about life and what we're supposed to do and what God is doing because we haven't talked to him about it. Or we've talked to him about it in a way that doesn't rightly reflect what it truly is. We've passed it off as not that important because it's not in crisis mode today. Persistence means we pray with frequency and urgency to make what God says is important first priority to us. The fourth quality that I offer to you is this, the perseverance that holds you in prayer. Four qualities of an effective prayer life. The person you pray to The posture you pray from. The persistence you pray with. And hear me, the perseverance that holds you in prayer. You say, isn't perseverance something we do? Well, it is. But we're doing it because we're being held by it. That last phrase, as it is working. What does the it refer to? Does it refer to the righteous person? No. It refers to the prayer of the righteous person. Why? Because I said prayer is a whole process. It's not just a sentence spoken. It's not just a conversation had. Prayer works for the whole of God's purpose in it, not just the statement that it makes or the issue that it addresses. Prayer is communion with God. It's not about giving God His task list or your want list. Prayer aligns our heart with God. It aligns our will and our life with His will and His purpose for us. And once we are aligned, then we begin to see God move in prayer. Yes, friends, prayer does move God. But the prayer that moves God is, first of all, the prayer that has changed you. Don't forget that. How often we pray, and we don't see an answer, so we're tempted to think, well, God must not be working, or my prayers aren't working. James 5.16 says this effective prayer is, hear me, is the working of prayer in its whole purpose, its whole request, and its whole process. We persevere in prayer until the process has come complete until God's work has been revealed on this earth as it is in heaven. And before we think, is God hearing? Is God working? Is my prayer working? The promise of effective prayer keeps us focused on watching how God is working through our praying. First of all in us, but then also all around us. You see, the promise that James gives to us here fuels our perseverance we are held by this that God wants his will on earth more than I do and so my urgency and my frequency and my ever request that is made for that end is aligning me with him is joining me in him in his work and he is bringing about therefore as I am held by the understanding of who God is and what he is doing in prayer I will persevere because I know he will not be thwarted not be thwarted. We grow weary in prayer when we forget all that is taking place, when we think it's something less than the whole process. And when you grow weary in prayer, friends, I'm going to tell you, that's so common. And there's a reason for that. Because we don't pray out of our own strength. When you grow weary in prayer, you are on the precipice of God's greatest work in you. You've got to pray and empty yourself of you before you can truly be filled with God. And the quicker you get to the end of yourself, the faster you're going to get to the strength and the power of God in you. As you persevere in prayer, God's strength fills you to carry on while God's power works in you and through you to accomplish His will, even all around you. Perseverance that holds you in prayer... Is the potency that reveals prayer's real working power. As it is working. When you pray, Christian, God is working. It's a process. So keep praying. Because God is working. He will not stop until his will is complete. God works through effective prayer to bring about his perfect will in the prayer, through the prayer, and by the prayer. Let's pray.